No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't work. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. It won't work. My Lord. Come on now. I'm feeling it. Come on now. I'm getting ready for a month from now when we're going to have everybody in here and folk need to know that COVID won't work. Cancer won't work. Heart disease won't work. None of these things will work. He said he would do it. He said he would do it. Y'all believe him, don't you? I believe him. You need to believe him. Yeah, he validates his own word because he said he would do it. He said it. He's not a man that he should lie. He said he would do it. Come on now. Believe him. Believe him. No fake news here. He said he would do it. Believe it. That's all right. This was all planned before we got here. He's already done. Oh, my Lord. He's already done. I hear you, T. Come on now. Come on. No weapon formed against me. It just won't work. Yeah. Stand up. Hold your head up high. Walk like you're a child of the Most High. Believe in His Word. Don't worry about your haters. Don't worry about the devil because He said to you, No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. He said it, and that's all I need to know that He said it. Oh, come on now, work that. Already, he's already defeated. Already, it's done. It's done. It's done. It's already done. The devil's already defeated. Come on, he's now. already done. Yes, sir. Hey, come on, hey, hey, right now. That just ain't one. Y'all don't know what's happening in here right now. Oh, I wish you were here with us. No weapon help us. In 
the mighty name of Jesus. We claim your word, Lord. We claim it. Bless us to us. Strengthen us for right now. My Lord, we thank you. Father, we bless your name. We love you. We see your hand moving all over us. Keep us and protect us. Strengthen us in ways that we don't even know we're weak. Lift us up. Let your shadow fall fresh all over us, Lord. Walk with us each and every day. Forgive us for the unrighteousness that comes from us. Create in us clean hearts. Renew right spirits. Lord, we love you. We adore you. There's a word you've given, Lord. Bless my frailties, my infirmities, and help them not to be hindrances to the effective delivery of your word. Hide me behind the cross, Lord, and let them see you and only you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Oh, my. We can get used to that, y'all. My Lord. So this month here at the church, we are concentrating on men and the issues surrounding men. That's not to be disrespectful to anybody else, but every now and then we need to have some man talks, strengthen one another, and we need to, we need to talk to each other and not about each other. We need to lift each other up and not tear one another down. And so I want to start, if I can, a series of sermons this month that concentrate on men and more particularly fathers. Fathers, we want to talk to you today about them from a sermon series that I've entitled the blueprint for a good father. If you had to design one, if you had to put one together, what all would be in a good father? And I hope that I can utilize some of the examples in scripture, that's my, my goal, is to utilize some of the individuals in scripture who have been examples of good fathers. Not always gonna be ones that you've imagined. There are some who always jump out, the Abraham. And even if I do talk about one you might be familiar with, prayerfully, it'll come from a perspective you've not seen before, including the message today. The Bible is full of instances wherein the concept of fathers is discussed. But ironically, despite the, the heavy presence of God in the Old Testament, God as father in the Old Testament is rare. The concept is rare. In fact, so rare that the notion that he is a father figure, a father to people, is only mentioned about 15 times in the whole Old Testament. 
He's called the father of Israel, ironically, just two times. But the teaching of the concept of fatherhood, which is so important to our community, takes a big turn when we come to the New Testament. More particularly, it takes a big turn when it comes to Jesus. Because Jesus' use of the term father grew exponentially, Casanova, and in fact, it was his favorite term. Over 65 times in the New Testament, Jesus Christ talks about Jesus as father. Over 65 times in the Synoptic Gospels and over 100 times in John alone, the concept of him as father is discussed by Jesus. It's unique in scripture. Let me tell you why. To know how the scriptures were written and put together, you need to know that while the Jews took their role as father very seriously, it was not one that was filled with a lot of emotion, but in fact was filled with concept of taking care of duty and doing all that you were required to do. Jesus takes that notion and spins it on his head. So it's rare that a character in any writing during that time would be so affectionate in his terminology. There's no evidence that anybody else referred to God as Abba, which was the terminology that was used. Abba, which we have sometimes used to refer to the term daddy in our language. And can I tell you this? Abba was a term that little children used to talk about their fathers. It was that affectionate. And for a long time, it was not used by older people. Recently, evidence has been unearthed uh, that tells us daddy was probably the wrong terminology. That it was always father for little children and for adults as well. And so father is the most appropriate way to render, to render Abba in scripture. And why is that important? Because that's all Jesus talked about. You ever met anybody, all they do is talk about their daddy? They love him that much. If you were around, if you were around Jesus, you would hear him talk about Abba all the time. And we're simply talking about the times it's recorded in scripture. We're not talking about the everyday casual conversations he had with the disciples. Why am I saying this? Because infused in the disciples' understanding of who Jesus was, was a core understanding that he loved his father. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. He was a daddy's boy. And didn't have any problem letting the world know how important his daddy, his daddy was. Jesus Christ was intimate in his conversation about his daddy, about his father. He was intimate. And in fact, the use of his terminology is so out of proportion anywhere else in the Bible, you can't help but understand that when he was talking about his father, he meant you to know that they were as close as close could possibly be. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus often talked about 
the importance of his father's guidance and him doing his father's work. And when you know how close they are, then you understand the significance of the work that Jesus Christ had to do. And so the concept of fatherhood is essential to Jesus's ministry. I'm here not to do my own work, but to do the work for which my father sent me. That's the core concept that comes from Jesus's ministry. And so today I want to take you to a father who was specifically selected by God. In fact, if I have to use a terminology for this message today, I mean a theme for this message today, then it's going to be the man who taught Jesus. The man who taught Jesus. The verses I want to use to support this found in Matthew chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. Very quickly, you'll understand what I'm referring to, the man who taught Jesus. Verse 19 reads as follows, starts reading, and her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You know this character in the Bible. How can we not know the story surrounding Jesus Christ's birth? It's fundamental to our understanding of scripture. We've heard it so many times. In fact, the characters who are associated with the story of Jesus' birth are very colorful and memorable. I'm probably looking at some folk who even played some of these characters in Christmas plays and had some of the lines that they had to quote. We can often recognize the characters by their unique speaking, spark, speaking parts. Some of them had dramatic words. We know the angels took center stage to announce the birth of Jesus Christ. They appeared to, to the angels were all over the place in the Christmas story, in the birth story. The angels show up and announce to Joseph the name of the child. Specifically, Joseph, you don't, have any, you don't have any choice in this. The baby's name is going to be Jesus. The angel Gabriel shows up and makes an unforgettable announcement to Mary. All of this is always played out at Christmas time in various pageants. There's an angelic choir that interrupts the shepherds by singing glory to God in the highest and 
and, and on earth peace and goodwill to all men. Mary is so ecstatic, even though she's fearful by being chosen by God for this un, un, otherworldly opportunity to bear the Savior who is going to save mankind, um, that she offers a beautiful hymn of praise called the Magnificent. The wise men in the, in the story come bearing tons of gifts. Even though we can't always get the chronological order together, we do listen to them as they offer gifts. And they have lines that they repeat. The shepherds, these lowly men who worked the jobs that nobody else wanted to, became evangelists after the choir came and announced the birth of Jesus Christ. They started telling everybody about the newborn Messiah. But ironically, even though our Christmas memories are full of all of these individuals and their announcements and their dramatic statements surrounding the birth of Jesus, the one person who is at the center of the story never has a speaking part. Joseph is never recorded in scripture as having said anything. There's no dialogue that comes from him. And yet Joseph's actions are paramount to Jesus becoming the man that we knew him to be. Even though we don't find him sitting Jesus down and teaching him how to, fashion, how to fasten his sandals, even though we don't see him taking him into his carpenter's work area and teaching him how to be a carpenter, even though we never see him how, teach Jesus how to fish, even though we never see him teach Jesus how to interact with his mother, we know that just as God in heaven is an overbearing presence in Jesus' life, so too is Joseph, who never says a word in Scripture. Joseph, the father who was specifically chosen by God to be the one who is an example for Jesus Christ, is in a pickle, y'all. He's in love. He's met this young girl who comes from a good family. He's decided that he wants to make her his wife. Can you see the story unveloping? It's just as dramatic as it would be today. A young man meets a young girl, decides she comes from a good family, decides she's the one, and in due course makes the appropriate connection with her family, particularly her father, and requests her hand in marriage. Fortunately for Joseph, she feels the same way about him, and she wants him to be her husband. But somewhere along the way, Joseph is in his work area one day, and he starts hearing rumors from folk around the community. It sounds really, really crazy, but somebody dared to whisper that Mary's pregnant. Somebody started talking about the fact that the woman he loves is about to have a baby and Joseph is confused because he knows they haven't been together. He also knows that he just came from his daddy asking, from her daddy asking for her hand in marriage and the betrothal is set. And you need to know at that time, being engaged in that community was akin to being married. So much so that if you were going to break an engagement, it was like getting a divorce. So the fact that he's hearing these rumors about Mary is troublesome to him. It'd be troublesome to anyone, not just at that time, 
But today it'd be troublesome if you found out that your fiance was pregnant and you knew that you hadn't had relations with him. Come on now. You, that'd be a problem. I mean, let's be real. He was, he was chosen by God, but he was still just a man. And he's going to have some emotions associated with the fact that there's something going on in the community that just don't seem right. So what do I do? Do I run to Mary and ask her what's going on? Yes, because I owe her that. We got to have a conversation. You just can't be around here talking about my girl like that. And so he goes to her, and what am I hearing? What's he hearing from Mary? You, you are pregnant? You mean it's true? And the baby is from what? The Holy Ghost. Come on now, Mary. You expect me to believe that the Holy Ghost is the father of your child. Now, I ain't seen the Holy Ghost walking around here in no sandals lately. No matter how devout a believer you are, it stretches the imagination to believe that your intended could be pregnant and there ain't no dude in the village who did it. Come on now, you know what I'm saying. You can't hardly believe what happened. But watch this. His new bride is in trouble. She's not acting cavalier or disrespectful. She's never been unusually emotional. But she's upset. Not because she's pregnant. That's strange. She's upset because Joseph doesn't believe her. She's upset because she can't convince him that what's happening to her is extraordinary. That's her concern. Not even as much what's happening to her, but what's happening to them and their relationship. Because in her words, Joseph, I didn't do anything wrong. I was chosen by God for this. So here we have a heartbroken man. We have a scared young girl. How does he respond to this? Well, you need to know this. God picked the right one. Because anybody else would have done immediately what the law required, and that was put her away. They would have had her stoned and killed for the shame that it would bring onto his, not only, not only her, but to his family. I can't have this on me that I'm going to be dealing with somebody else's baby. But that wasn't the kind of man Joseph was. And in his actions, Joseph gives us a clue as to how good fathers react. A clue as to how good folk are. He's heartbroken, but he loves Mary. Can I tell you that love is the ultimate? Love will cover a multitude of wrongs. If you love somebody, love can see you through it. And he decides he's not going to publicly shame her because the Mary he loves should not be put through that. And why is this? Because Joseph is, watch this now, a righteous man. He's a righteous man. And being a good father means that you need to be a righteous person. He's righteous. He doesn't want to disgrace her. And so he plans, watch this, I want you to hear me now. Joseph plans to put her away secretly, privately, before the angel comes and tells him what's going on. So in his own way of thinking, in his own righteousness, he's determined, I can't hurt Mary like this. 
what a thrilling event it must have been that night when he was asleep. And the angel came to him in the dream and said, Joseph, Mary, the woman you love, has not done anything wrong. What has happened to her is from the Lord. It validated, one, his righteous way of thinking, and two, it validated his love for Mary because she told him the truth, and that's what mattered most of all to him. Now, can you imagine a better example of a man to be Jesus' father figure on earth than one who loved his mother enough to see her through the worst scandal, which happens to be the Savior's birth. See, we always look at the birth of Jesus as this divine event, this beautiful angelic choir. But the backdrop of that is a social drama that would be worthy of binge-watching TV. The, 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 the social drama was just a man and a woman who was struggling to understand how she could be pregnant and no man had come to her. And God settled all that. But because he picked the right man, because he chose the right one in Joseph, everything worked out as heaven would have it. He wouldn't hurt Mary. So can I tell you this? The key to being a good father is first being a good man. Yeah, being a good man. You want to be a good father? Start out by living right. You want to be a good father? Start out by treating folk right. You want to be a good father? Love the people who God has given you and let them know you love them. Watch this now. Not a perfect man, but a good man. There's a difference. Scripture doesn't require perfection. James Dobson said this. One of the best things a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Too often. Too often, I don't think James Dobson is the first one to ever say that, but it's certainly attributed to him. That's what, that's what Joseph did. He loved Mary. Even when he thought that she didn't love him, he loved her. I hope you heard me when I said that now. Your love for someone else is not conditional on their love for you. Not when you truly love them. Not when you truly care about them. Too many of us make our love conditional. You remember when we were in grade school and we would send the little notes back and forth? Do you like me, yes or no? Please sign yes. Yeah. Yeah, and you'd have the boxes down there. You want them to check it. Yeah, somebody in here has had that. Somebody recently <laughs> has had that. But if they check the wrong box, your public statement is, I don't like you no more either. Y'all remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't like you no more because you don't like me. Well, that's conditional. We do that now, even as adults. We love people when we find out they love us. And, can I tell you, the heart doesn't lie, and the heart is a strange tool. When you love somebody, it's hard to get them out of your mind, off your hand. And Joseph loved Mary, and it showed in his actions. But after making his plans to quietly 
divorce Mary, to discreetly divorce her, which is what the law would have required. He could have publicly shamed her and put her out front. They could have stoned her to death. But he decided before the angel came that he was going to quietly do it, move on with his life, try to find somebody else until the angel interrupted those plans and said, she's a good girl, you picked the right one, and God has chosen you to be her husband and the father of the baby that's going to be born. And by the way, his name is going to be Jesus. Joseph, with all of this stuff going on, Casanova, could have easily said, you know what? There's a little bit too much going on in this picture. I'm a simple man. I just like making chairs and, you know, tables. I'm going to go on back to my carpenter's tent over here and do my thing. And y'all find somebody else to sign up for this one. But that's not what he did. He didn't check out. He doubled down on the responsibility. And therein lies the next thing that a good man has to do. A good father has to take responsibility. There are plenty of good men who have taken responsibilities. Watch this now. Not for babies who were divine by immaculate conception, but for babies who were born by uh, other means than their own. Yeah, they, they've taken responsibility for that mother and they've taken responsibility for that child. Why? Because the mama needed a good husband and the baby needed a good daddy. Plenty of daddies right now have done that. Not only that, they take the responsibility to ensure that that child has everything he or she needs to live a good life. Watch this now. Jesus wasn't the only baby that was going to be given to Mary and Joseph. They went on to have many more children. Many more children. And still in all that, you do not hear a word in Scripture from Joseph. As a matter of fact, when Jesus' earthly ministry starts, Joseph is nowhere in the picture. One can only assume that he is no longer alive because he is no longer mentioned in Scripture. And Mary is very prominent. Not only is Mary very prominent, Mary is traveling with Jesus. What does that tell me? By the, the way things occurred during that time, tells me that Joseph has died and Jesus Christ as the older son, the elder son, has the primary responsibility to take care of his mama. And he took that responsibility to the grave with him. Because one of the last things he did was make sure John knew this is your mama. Take care of her. But who did he learn that responsibility from? Clearly it was Joseph who taught him that the number one thing you got to do is take care of Mary, take care of your mama. Someone had to be the example for him. And here we know, though he doesn't speak a word, there are no quotations attributed to him, that Joseph's actions reverberated in Jesus Christ's life. He was a responsible man. Watch this. The Bible says that when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until the son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Why you say that again, Reverend Sparks? Because I want you to understand that Joseph was responsible enough to do exactly what God told him to do. He didn't deviate. 
And I'm sure he realized that just as God said this was going to come true, then God is with us throughout this whole episode, and I'm going to make sure that I am responsible enough to take care of the responsibility that God has given me. Come on now, Casanova. When you realize that God has laid his hand on your life, when you realize that God has something special for you to do, when you realize that God has taken little old you from where you are and entrusted you to be the father for the savior of the world, that, that kind of puts a little, a little pep in your step. But it's something you can't even tell folk about. That's another thing. Joseph didn't have to be the rooster on the, the, on the block. He didn't have to go around letting everybody know that his son had gotten a D1 scholarship. You, you know these situations where these daddies got more airtime? How about, the, the, what is it, the Ball brothers? You hear more about their daddy than you do them on the court. Joseph didn't have to be that kind of person. That's not to say he's not a good father. It's simply to say that some people don't need that kind of publicity in order to do what they're supposed to do for their children. Joseph understood what God expected of him, and he was ready to obey God, and he did that. How much different would our world be if every father did the same thing that Joseph did? And not just the fathers, those father figures. How much better would it be? We need to learn from Joseph's example. Get more involved in the lives of our children lives of all children, and I think we probably see a decrease in the problems we got. And Joseph did what he was supposed to do because he was a righteous man, because he was a responsible man. And last but not least, I want to tell you something that Joseph did for Jesus that was essential to his walk. And I'm going to use, I'm going to use a terminology that sometimes I don't use in the context of preaching because I want you to have a deeper understanding. A lot of people... Um, don't use the term religion when it comes to relationship with God. We always say we want you to have a relationship, not just religion. Uh, Christianity's walk and mission is for us to have a relationship. But that statement can be a little misleading sometimes because it sets up you either have to have relationship or religion. Can I tell you, you need both. You need a foundational belief system which is what we call religion. Your children need to know you believe in something. They need to know you believe in something bigger than them. And Joseph, through his actions, showed his children that he believed in God the Father. He also believed that his son was the one sent to save, but he didn't understand fully what that was about. But he believed in God the Father. How do I know that? Because Joseph practiced his true religion. We saw that with Jesus Christ. He took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised as a devout Jew should be. He exercised yearly the right to go to the Passover celebration in Jerusalem. He took his family to those activities. Joseph was a religious man and he taught his children to believe in somebody something bigger than them. Imagine how much better we'd be if instead of letting our children figure it out for themselves, instead of giving them the freedom to be all they can be, we simply taught them that there's somebody bigger than you and I. 
Imagine how better we would be. Watch this. James wrote this in James 1 and 27. He said, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. That's what James said. Anybody see any irony in that? That James wrote that in his epistle? Well, let me tell you what the irony is. James, the one who wrote that, is Jesus' little brother. <laughs> yeah, he too was fathered by Joseph. Another of Joseph's sons is telling you, I understand what true religion is. Why? Because my dad and Joseph taught me. It might not be written in scripture that he taught me, but I'm telling you right now in my own ministry, my own life, that I understand that I'm supposed to take care of folk who can't take care of themselves. I know that, my big brother Jesus knows that, and we teach folk that. James got the message from his home. Good home training, we call it. Joseph was a devoutly religious man, and so were his children. Daddies, fathers, the facts are true. That if you want your children to have a good relationship with the Lord, they need to see you have a good relationship with him. Oh, 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 that's how it works. That's how it works. There was a teacher who gave her, a kindergarten teacher who gave her children an exercise. She just simply gave them blank pieces of paper, Destiny, and told them to draw a picture of God. Whoever you think God looks like, draw a picture of him. And they sat there, and some of them drew airplanes. Some, some of them drew trees. One little girl who happened to be the daughter of the local preacher brought her picture up, and on the picture was a man with a suit on. And she said to the teacher, I don't know what God looks like, so I just drew a picture of my dad. That's how we see God. We see God as the one who is most God-like in our lives. That's what your children are looking for. That's what they need to see. Joseph knew the Lord. Joseph knew his teaching. Aaron Austin Sorensen, a theologian, said, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. We have been short-selling our children. We've been expecting them to find a diamond in the roof. We've been expecting them to find a pearl of good value when in actuality we need to take them to that pearl. And we need to help them polish that coal to make that work. That's how we do every day. When you get down on your knees, they need to hear you praying. When you take them to church, not, not drop them off. When you take them to church, they see how important it is for you. More than anybody else, you're going to instill, fathers, the faith in your children. More than anybody else, you're going to show them what a loving father is like. And Joseph was that example, even though he never said a word. Now, you're better situated than Joseph ever was. You know and I know that Joseph put a lot into them. We just don't know what it is. And I like that because that means you can fill in the blanks. You can do what you need to do. So what do we learn from the man who never said anything? Even though none of his words were never recorded, his example teaches us Valuable lessons, invaluable lessons 
We learn that he's righteous, and that's required. We learn not only that you have to be responsible, but we also learn that you've got to have a religious foundation in your life. That religious foundation for us starts with the baby that he was entrusted with, and that's Jesus Christ. And so to all of those who are listening and those in here who are righteous, responsible, and religious, I want to thank you. People may never thank you for what you do, but you make the world a better place with your actions. Even if your words are never recorded, even if volumes are never written, even if no one ever celebrates you publicly, you make the world a better place in how you treat your children. Thank you for showing us how to be good men. Thank you for always being there when you need it. And thank you for loving God and making us want to do the same thing. Joseph is our example, our fine example. The way he taught Jesus is really the way Jesus is teaching us. Joseph is a blueprint for a good father. Watch this. Jesus Christ was the purpose of Joseph's good work. And my question today is, do you believe that Joseph's work was worthwhile? Do you believe that Joseph's work was necessary? Do you understand the sacrifice that was made? Joseph lived for a baby who would later become his savior. Joseph helped raise his, his own salvation. You see the irony in that? The goodness that Joseph put in Jesus is reflected in the salvation work that Jesus gave to all of us. And I know I'm not discounting the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry. But Jesus had to learn how to live on earth too. He had to learn how to deal with people and so too do you. Now my question today is do you believe in Jesus and what he did? If you've never paused to give him thank you for his salvation, today is the day. If you want to start blessing your children with a better life, then you need to start with a better you. You need to start by believing in something or someone bigger than yourself. And I strongly suggest that you try Jesus Christ. He's worth it. How do I know that? Because his father thought so and gave his life for it. Yes, I said his father. I mean his earthly father and his heavenly father. Both of them gave Jesus Christ the life that we now depend on.